I want to I wanna actually take a few minutes and revisit the message from last week. And I want to do that because the message from last week ties so uh, neatly and nicely and intricately into our message for this week. And if you were here, you remember that we, what we talked about was this idea that we're called to, in this upside-down kingdom, not hate our enemies, but love our enemies. And the Greek word for enemies that Luke uses in this gospel is the word ekthros. And in summary, he's talking about people that hate us um, and, and, and maybe hurt us or harm us or that, that we feel like are opposed to us in some way. And I'm going to pause right now and ask the ushers to come forward and receive the morning offering as we, as we jump in because Rich, the main usher, was waving the offering sign to me in the back just to give up our signals here. Um, so if, if they do that, you can listen and, uh, and uh, continue to worship through giving at the same time. So last week, uh, Ekthros, love these people that hurt us, harm us, do us wrong. And, and the question for Jesus that he addressed last week was, how do we respond? How, when we encounter these people as children of a Heavenly Father, as those who have received grace and mercy and love and forgiveness from God, how do we respond to people who are Ekthros in our lives? And what we said last week was that Jesus actually does not want us to respond in either of the typical ways of the world. The world tends to kind of be on the spectrum of two different responses to, to people who hurt us or harm us. And Jesus says, we're not to be on that same spectrum. He says, on one end, in the world, people will respond with aggression. Aggr- aggression. They'll be aggressive. They will seek vengeance or revenge when someone hurts or harms. On the other end of the spectrum, equally as, as unacceptable in the kingdom, is to just be passive, to, do, to be a victim in those moments. And Jesus says there's actually a third and better way. And the, the point I want to make sure we are extremely clear on today, as we look back at last week's message moving forward, is that... The way of assertive love, this third way that Jesus offers us in this moment, is not simply a nice balance between these other two realities. To assertively love is to not find sort of a a good, comfortable middle ground between being passive and aggressive, between vengeance and being a victim. No, he's... What Jesus says is this is actually a completely new way. It's a whole new ball game. Remember last week I didn't like my ping pong analogy? I thought about that. I was like, why didn't I like my ping pong analogy? Here's why I didn't like it. Because in the kingdom, it's not like we're playing the same game with the new paddle. We're actually like chucking ping pong for an entire new game. So if you were here last week, forget that I ever even mentioned ping pong. Like, let's just wipe that portion of the message completely from our brains. A, because I I think the analogy didn't quite work, and B, because maybe, just maybe, Pastor Gabby beat me this week in ping pong. I don't know. One of those reasons. But, um, and she really wanted to make sure I mentioned that today. It was was like, she was going to, like, take out a billboard on 26 if I didn't mention that this morning. So we're just going to forget about ping pong altogether. In fact, it's banned from this church now. Um, Assertive love says there's no room for vengeance or victim in the kingdom. And that's the clarification I want to make. But on a real practical level, something that happened this week that I loved was that I just got a slew of emails from a number of you 
who emailed in to say, hey, I, I liked the message, I, I resonated with it, it spoke to something in my life, a situation, uh, I'm in a relationship that I'm, I'm currently engaged in that's, that's hard. But there was some question about, how do I actually live this assertive love thing out in this situation, Pastor Dave? Um, and there was some struggle uh, around, like, what does that look like? And does it just kind of find its way somewhere on this other spectrum? Or does it look completely different? And so I, I wanted to be a little more specific this morning before we move forward and address two situations specifically. One um, that is maybe a little more kind of common and normal and one that's, that's hopefully um, a bit extreme. The first one... I want to address is an abusive spouse, like an abusive situation, maybe a domestic violence kind of moment. Uh, what, would a, what would Jesus say loving your enemy looks like in that kind of a, a situation? Well, I think he'd say aggression, aggression would say to retaliate. Aggression would say, like, I will get revenge. I, if you hurt me, I will hurt you. I will do everything I can to make you pay for what you've done. Passivity on the other side of the, of the coin would say... I will just endure it. I will just decide to take it. And sometimes there's even like a twisting of Jesus' words in this moment to say like, I will just love you anyway, uh, which is actually not what Jesus intends to say in our passage from last week. Here's what I believe Jesus would say into an abusive situation. He would say, neither of these is the loving response. Neither of these values and protects the abused while calling the abuser to a new, right, God-honoring way of living. The lovingly assertive thing to do in a situation like this is to get out and get help and make sure that this does not happen anymore, that this injustice is ended. Remember how um, in the examples Jesus gave, offering the tunic or turning the other cheek would actually serve to, to spotlight the evil, the injustice, the wrong of the situation. It would force people to take notice of it. So how would that look in this situation? I think it would mean that in a situation of abuse, you would say, this has to be dealt with. It can't be swept under the rug. We cannot, we cannot as kingdom people, let this continue. We cannot keep it hidden any longer. I will not leave this unresolved. It's not the kingdom way. So that's, that's example one. Another situation or example would be potentially a co-worker or a family member or friend who has hurt you or harmed you with word or action and maybe they even continue to unknowingly. Assertive love, I think, would say not just be nice to them or buy them a present, but tell them. Love them enough to put it on the table and talk about it. Do unto others, Jesus says, as you'd have them do unto you. If you were hurting someone, harming someone, and you didn't know it, and it was really bothering them, wouldn't you want them to do you the respect of talking to you about it, of saying, this is not working, this is hurtful and harmful in my life? Wouldn't you prefer that to them seeking to get revenge? Or just passively sort of distancing themselves from you and ending the relationship? Doesn't love actually say, let's take a look and address what's going on in a, an assertive way? And then there's also the other option of maybe being passive-aggressive. We've, we've experienced this, some of us have done it, where we pretend like we're being passive, but we're actually being aggressive. None of those responses is what Jesus would want. He would say, get it on the table. Do the hard work, the scary work, the nerve-wracking work of having the conversation. 
Right? So maybe that helps a little bit as you think about how do I apply last week's message to my life? What does it look like to be this kind of a person? Another question or a couple of questions you can ask yourself if you're wondering, is the course of action I'm taking assertive love or not? Is it the Jesus way or not? Ask yourself this question. Are there traces of revenge in my attitude or actions? Are there even little hints of me getting even? Or, or are there traces of passivity, of me just continuing to let the same pattern happen? Are there traces of either of those? If so, you probably haven't quite found the Jesus way yet. Keep working at it. So today, we're taking the next step. Last week was, how do you respond? What does your life look like in response to these people externally? Today, Jesus is going to drill the same message down deeper into our hearts. Today's message, he's going to look at the internal attitude we should have when dealing with the sin in others. What does it look like in here? How does, how does the kingdom shape in here such that out here turns out the right way? So he's taking it a layer down for us. Today we're in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 37. Here's what Jesus says for us this morning. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother or sister's eye. Now again, what Jesus is trying to get at in these verses is what is, the, what is the internal posture the upside-down kingdom should empower you to have when dealing with the sin in others? What does it look like inside your heart and soul? And here's how Jesus starts. He says, do not judge. And it's interesting the word he uses here for judge is the Greek word krino. It's a word that means a number of things, but it primarily points to condescending criticism. It's to kind of criticize someone from above or from on high, from a lofty position. And it's from this Greek word krino that we actually derive and get our English word critic or critical. And that's exactly what Jesus is driving at here. He's not saying never have an opinion about right or wrong. He's not saying, have no moral discernment in your life. He's not advocating for sort of an I'm okay, you're okay, relativistic morality where I can never say that a sin is sin or this is bad or wrong or not God's way. That is not what he's saying at all. He is telling us that in the kingdom life, there is no place for a heart that looks on others with an attitude of condescension, with a critical spirit with a a judgmental sort of posture. That is not the posture of people of the kingdom of God. You see, 
actually, in spite of what people often think, in spite of how these words of Jesus are often used, and they're often used to convey the idea that we should never, ever, ever say that something that someone else has said or done is wrong, because as Christians, we don't judge. That's how these verses are used and thrown at us so often, and yet that is exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. This passage is in reality an instruction guide for how we address the sins of others. So the passage itself says we should be doing this. We should be pointing out each other's sin. We should be sort of helping people not live in sin. We should be sort of expressing that there's evil and injustice and bad stuff in the world and helping our world and other people move past that. Jesus himself says this very thing. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Just one example, just one moment where Jesus says that's part of what it means to be in the kingdom, to be in the family of God. People point out your stuff and you point out their stuff and hopefully we're moving forward in Christ together. This is not a passage about if we should. This is a passage about how we should and how we shouldn't deal with sin in other people. What Jesus says in these opening verses is that Judgment and criticizing and condemnation is not the way. Why? Why does Jesus say it's not the way? Why is he so opposed to this strategy for tackling sin? Because God said so? Does he say because God said so? Does he say because them's the rules? Does he like start to reference the Ten Commandments and stuff here? No, no. Here's why Jesus says not to do these things, not to have this, this heart posture. Because it doesn't work. He says it's just flat out a terrible strategy. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Here's how the upside down kingdom works, Jesus says. Even though you are going to be tempted, even though in your flesh and fallenness and humanness, you are going to be tempted to when you encounter sin and hurt and harm and evil and bad stuff in others, you're going to be tempted to judge them and criticize them and think in your own mind and heart that you're better than them and above them. And you're going to be tempted to gossip about them and do all sorts of things and take this sort of posture. Even though you're going to be tempted that way, Jesus says, don't do it, don't do it. It will not work. It will backfire on you in the long run. Instead, instead... He says, do something that will actually produce the rich, blessed, transformed life in you and in others. I mean, think about it just for a minute. It's common sense, really. Because critical condemnation, you never see this actually result in helping someone, do you? I mean, when was the last time you heard a testimony where someone stood up in front of church or a group and they were just talking about their life and they were talking about you and how you had been active in their life and they said something like this. Have you ever heard someone say something like this? You know what? Thank you so much, Lisa. You made me feel so little and so small and so ostracized. You know, that I just was motivated to change. I mean, up until now, I have been just blowing it and being completely idiotic and making terrible decisions and hurting other people. But because of your condemnation and judgment, I want to be more like Jesus. (laughs) Have you ever heard that before from anyone ever? Is it condemnation that changes people's hearts? Has it changed yours? Has it moved you towards Christ? See, all of us know this is silly, and yet 
We're so tempted to, in the face of sin and hurt and harm, respond in this way. The first question for us today is this. Got any place in your life where a critical, judgmental, condemning spirit has started to take root? Got any relationships where that's just how you tend to respond you're in a pattern of even thinking before you even see the person you already just your brain's already going there maybe there's maybe it's not a person maybe it's an issue maybe it's one of the hot topics of society and you're just your posture when it comes to those kind of conversations is just not a kingdom posture does that attitude well up in you in any situations or with any people are you aware of that jesus says Instead, instead, try this. Instead, try something that actually will work. Instead of offering criticism and judgment and condemnation, let forgiveness pour out of your life. And then he gives us this great word picture of how this should actually look in the lives of people in the upside-down kingdom. He says, forgive and you will be forgiven. Given it will be given to you. A good measure... Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You want to start to experience the kingdom, the blessed life that Pastor Matt talked about a few weeks ago? Then then use this strategy, Jesus says. And and in Jesus' day, he's referencing this very common practice um, of going to the market to acquire uh, some grain or some wheat. And this was actually one of the most common ways that people would get ripped off in Jesus' day. Faulty measurements were sort of the the credit card fraud of the first century. So you'd go to the the market to buy some grain, and you'd go up to one of the retailers, and they would have a measuring container, and they'd charge you so much per container. And some of the sellers would would scoop the grain into the container, and they would press it in, and they would shake it together, and they would work as hard as they could to get every single kernel, every single, like, ounce of grain they possibly could into the container that you paid for and then they would take this container running over like full to the brim and they would pour it into this little pouch that you had on the front of your clothes like literally they would pour it into your lap you know as jesus said it's going to get poured into your lap it's just going to be given to you in this way this is how they're going to offer their their grain to you And Jesus says this to just paint a real vivid picture for these people who have experienced this in their lives time and time again. But for us, this illustration, it it misses a bit because we're not a grain-purchasing culture. I mean, how many... When was the last time you went to the market to buy a container of grain from a retailer? No, none of us do that. Very few. Anyone? No. We're not a grain culture. We are instead an ice cream culture. And so I was thinking this week, what would Jesus say if he was giving this illustration to Cedar Mill. And so to to try to pull that out, I need a couple volunteers this morning. Oh yeah, there's some middle school boys over here just itching. Okay, right back here. Ma'am, you come on forward. And right here on the end. Come on. All right. You know, I I think if Jesus were used, were talking to us about this, he would um he would use the illustration of an ice cream store. Grab that paper bag for me, will you, Tristan? Thank you. Come on up, you guys. Pretend like you walked up to the counter here. Stand here. You guys can come right here. One of you here and one of you here. If you showed up to the ice cream store, you would, of course, order a waffle cone because those are the best. Right? 
And I don't know if you're like me, but when you go to the ice cream store, you really want to order a triple scoop, but you feel kind of bad about that. You feel a little obnoxious. Plus, your wife's there, and she won't let you, so you order a single. Um, I'm not sure what it is about ice cream these days, if it's like in low supply or what, but it seems like it's getting more and more expensive. And so, uh, it's not, I know. It's not salt. She said it's not salt and straw, but it is Tillamook. So that's like one of the benefits of living in Oregon, Tillamook ice cream available at a grocery store near you. So, and you go to order and you order your single scoop and you're standing there at the counter. You picture it, right? All the bins and you get a few samples and you decide the one you want. And then they start to, to scoop your single scoop. You wish you had a double, but you're getting single. And they're doing it and you look and you're thinking, man, I hope they scoop. Are you thinking, I hope they just put a little in. Is that what, is that what anyone's thinking? No, don't lie in church. You're thinking, I like... Like, I know, I know your forearms are sore, college kid, but come on. Get in there. Work for it a little bit. I got Oregon salted, or hazelnut and salted caramel and chocolatey chip cookie dough. What do you like? What's your pleasure? You want the cookie dough, ma'am? You guys both want the cookie dough? Sorry, honey. They're taking your cookie dough. Um, so... What Jesus says is that when you go to the ice cream store, some people scoop and they would serve you like this. Single? You had a single? You had a single, sir? Okay. 8.37 for that. There you go. Just turn and show the crowd. And then he says that there's other people who scoop and you order single and... And they, I know, it's just, I mean, it was like not really even to debate who was going to be who in this example, was it? <laughs> Sorry, I got to really work for this one. And, it, and, that, and those, and there's the times where you go and it just gets like, they use the top, you know, when they start using the top, you know you're in good shape, the top of the scooper. It's like they're trying to get it to the very bottom of the cone. How much ice cream can I possibly get into a waffle cone She's going to trade you because she's really gracious at the end of this, but it's going to kill my illustration. No, I'm kidding. You guys can trade. Give her the, give her the little one. Go ahead. Just do it. No, she's not trading you, actually. You know how that is, though? You're at the ice cream scoop and you're thinking, this is the last one for sure. And they're like working it off the side of the container. And you're thinking, oh, that's got to be it. And then they're like, oh, one more time. One more down, and they're, oh yeah, they see that little, oh, there's that little cookie dough on the side, they're trying to get that extra piece for you. There it is, that's good. So here's what Jesus says. That's, is that too much? All right, that's good. Does the grace and forgiveness that flow out of your life towards people who have hurt and harmed you, <laughs> oh, don't do that, not yet, wait till after I'm done at least. <laughs> It's all this sharing in church. <laughs> Life ain't fair. Fair ended in the Garden of Eden. That's one of my favorite sayings with my kids. Okay. Um, that's all right. Just, that's okay. Just scripture it in. Does, does, does forgiveness in your life towards other people look like ice cream cone A or ice cream cone B? Do you, do you pack it in? Does your heart want to give them as much love and grace and mercy and freedom as you possibly can squeeze out of your soul? Or is it kind of like, Jesus says I have to, so I'll just put one little scoop in, check it, check the box. Which does your life look like? Thanks you guys, you guys can head back and if you want to share now, that's fine. That's, yeah. There might be some more available after.
So Jesus says, here's what it looks like in the kingdom. This is what forgiveness looks like in the upside down kingdom, in ways that people wouldn't expect. It seems backwards. Why would you ever offer your enemies that kind of a response? And yet Jesus says, it should just flow out of your life if you're a kingdom person. And then he, and then he says this, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. You see, friends, here's the, here's the truth that Jesus is pointing at here. If you are blind spiritually to what is happening in you, if you cannot see what's happening in your own heart, if, you don't have, if you're not in touch with your own attitudes and emotions and feelings, if you can't see yourself in the face of someone else's sin, how in the world do you think you're going to help them see their sin? You see, so often we want to help people see their sin, but we haven't seen our own. He says, that's headed for disaster. You're going right into the pit with that sort of a philosophy. You see, in this passage, Jesus says, there are so many people in our world. There are so many. Yeah, feel free to eat that ice cream in the sanctuary today and today only. Just go for it. No guilt. Don't let your husband even have any of that. This is a share-free moment. Okay. He says, so many people in our world, so many people in the church are so worried about sin, but they're not aware of what is happening in them and how their own stuff impacts relationships. And then Jesus drives this point home with one of the most wonderful illustrations in all of Scripture. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, sister's eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, Let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye you hypocrite first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye now the plank that Jesus refers to this word refers to the center beam of a home like the home that runs across the ceiling that holds the entire roof up this was an enormous piece of lumber and so Jesus here uses kind of exaggerated comedy to make his point it's like can you it would be sort of like if you can't even see what's happening in your own soul and you're trying to tell someone else what's happening in their heart and soul it'd be sort of like the guy who walks around and he goes I think you got something in your eye man <laughs> right like I don't know like it, it's in there it's, yeah just a little it's an eyelash just let's get it I mean it, it's like and it, the beam Jesus would be talking about you couldn't even hold so the picture is like an exaggerated cartoon just really good stuff this Jesus um, you know Comedy Club Central there. Uh, And what he's telling us is this. The primary issue here, the primary problem to overcome, the hurdle to get over is this. The person in this illustration has absolutely no self-awareness. They are obnoxiously unaware of who they are in the midst of this moment. They are not in touch with their own thoughts and their own feelings and their own issues. And because of this, they go into the situation blind. You see, sometimes we read these verses and we think what Jesus is saying is get your life cleaned up. Get the sin taken care of in your own life. Make sure you don't got any big, big, obnoxious, giant sins. And then once you do that, now you can be the sin police. Now you can. Now you got license to judge. Right? I don't got any planks, Pastor Dave. So I'm going to walk around and like point out your sin and your sin and tell you what's wrong with you and tell you exactly what God thinks because I have a chapter and verse for every single thing I say. Right? That is not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying clean up your life so that all of a sudden you can be judgmental. No. No. Remember, this passage is about your heart. It's about 
preparing yourself internally to have the right attitude so that when you confront the sin in someone else, the kingdom will advance, relationships will be restored, and God will be honored in this world. That's what this passage is about. Notice he says in verse 42, first, take the plank out of your own eye. And when you have a first, there's generally a a second, right? Jesus says this is a two-step process. Dealing with the sin in other people is a two-step process. And most of you are so anxious, so focused on getting to step number two, you completely skip over step number one. And step number one is actually the most important part. Because friends, when we don't take time to have good self-awareness, we actually create a breeding ground for critical condemnation, and judgment to just fester and take root and grow in our hearts. So Jesus says, before you start messing with the sin you see in other people, get real clear about yourself. And to do that, he offers us a wonderfully simple question that every single kingdom person should ask themselves before they deal with sin in another. And he offers it to us right at the beginning of this section. It's a very simple question. In fact, it is just one word. It's the very first word of verse 41. Say it with me. Why? Why? Jesus says, I just want to ask you something. I just want to offer you a question. It's a question you can ask yourself later. Why? Why? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? What is it about the sin in her life that has you so concerned? Why has it caught your attention? Why does it bother you so much? Why does it irritate you, hurt you, harm you, rub you the wrong way? Why do you feel the need to address it? What is it about her little bitty speck in her little eye there that is just like, you just can't help but point it out and get your hands on it. You just feel the need to deal with that. Why? Before you start to address the sin in them, stop and ask yourself, what's really going on in me? How am I feeling? You know, what's triggering this? What is driving my response in this moment, really? Maybe it's anger. Maybe if you just stop and ask why, say, because I'm really angry. This thing they're doing, that thing they said, this behavior they're engaging, has just got me angry. That's what's going on in me. I'm an angry person. You see, friends, an angry person is never ready to help someone else deal with the sin in their life. If that's what's going on in you, you need to stop, take pause, time out. Maybe, maybe it's not anger. Maybe it's, maybe it's something a little darker, a little deeper, a little more sinister. Maybe it's envy. Maybe if you just stop for a second and say, why? Why does that sin? Why does that thing in their life draw, draw me in like a tractor? Me? Because the honest truth is, if I just stop and ask, I'm jealous. I'm jealous that they got the promotion and I didn't. I'm jealous they have the car that I've always wanted. I'm jealous that their relationship with their kid looks the way it does and mine looks a little different than that. Or, or maybe, maybe it's fear. Maybe something they've said, something they've done has sort of uncovered or unearthed this area in your heart or soul and now you're experienced fear and in response to fear, you want to lash out at their sin. But the truth is, is that God needs you to deal with the fear in your own heart. Maybe you're feeling threatened. Maybe they've threatened you and you're operating from that place. Or maybe there's, maybe there's insecurity. Maybe something about this person, something about this situation, what they say, what they do, it just sort of, 
irritates and aggravates this place of deep insecurity in you. Because I don't know about you, but I find that in me so often. And now, I'm concerned about this speck, this sin, this stuff in them. But really, it's just about the insecurity in me. Maybe it's pride issues. Maybe you're feeling challenged. Or, and, and this one you'll see all the time, did you get embarrassed? Did, did something happen? And now you're, you, you're embarrassed and you got embarrassed and, and all you can think about is the, the thing, the sin in that person's life and a way to sort of take them down a notch because they embarrassed you? Why? See, I think what Jesus would say is before you go and tackle the sin in someone else's life, in your spouse's life, your kid's life, your friend's life, your co-worker's life, your mother-in-law's life, help others, Jesus might say, only after thorough, sober self-evaluation. He might put that little sign, you know, like a stop sign. Help others only after thorough, sober self-evaluation. He maybe just posts that sign right on your computer. Before you send that email, the one you're going to regret later, before you fire off that text or make that phone call or have that sit-down coffee and let them know how you think, what you think, might want to spend some time on you. Might want to just ask yourself the question, Why? Think for a second, friends, about how that would change our marriages. If instead of just rattling back, you know, going on an offensive, pulling out the passive-aggressive weapons, letting the words fly, you'd stop and just said, why? Why? What is it about what you just did or said or didn't say or didn't do that that has resonated something in me? What's going on with me? Well, how, how would it change our parent-child relationships? How would our responses to our kids be different? Kids, how would our responses to our parents change if you just stopped and said, I know I, I'm a slew of hormones right now and I can't even wade through all that stuff, but, but why? Why do I feel right now? What am I feeling? What is, what is what dad said making me feel? And now, knowing that, how do I... Choose the appropriate, assertively loving response in this moment. Just, just, a, just, a, just a second, just a ten count maybe. Maybe it's more, maybe it's an hour, maybe it's a whole day. How would our church be different? If people in the church, before they formed opinions and started on campaigns, decided to just stop and say, why? Why does this thing matter that much? What is it about the fill-in-the-blank for you, right? That just makes me so self-righteous. That makes me want to go on a campaign. That just makes me want to sort of start spouting opinions and maybe even verses. Why? Wouldn't our churches be more like Jesus if we just stopped and asked that question? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? See yourself. Be self-aware. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. And a hypocrite is just the Greek word for someone who wears a mask. You person who, doesn't, who can't even really see yourself, who looks in the mirror and you don't even see who you really are. 
Stop. See who you really are. Don't be a hypocrite. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye. You see, this past week, it's funny how God does this to you. Just this past week, I had a situation where a friend of mine came to me and lived out these verses before me in in such a beautiful way. Just came and grabbed me and had a sit down with me. And they said, hey, I just got to be honest with you, Dave. Um, Something happened that you were a part of and it really hurt my feelings. And, And then they went on to say, and I've been thinking a lot this week. I've been thinking about my part in it. I've been thinking about... Um, how I'm feeling, if it's legit. I've been sort of searching my soul for, for what is it in me that's, that's tender in this area and why what happened just rubbed me wrong. And, and, I'm, and I want you to know I'm really trying hard to sort of own my part of this and I'm certainly, it's not all your fault, but I've done some real intense soul searching and now I'm just here to say this is how I'm feeling and I'm not accusing you, but I just need you to know. And, and I thought to myself, man, how vulnerable is that? to be that person, to, to approach it that way. And am I humble enough to do that? Am I humble enough to have this kind of a conversation with somebody who's hurt me? But then what I discovered was this. They came to tell me, like, you're a sinner, you blew it. You hurt my feelings. That was the message, really. And yet it didn't feel that way. I didn't feel defensive. I didn't feel like I had to backpedal. I didn't feel like I had to make excuses. I just felt so much safety in the moment to simply say, you know what, man, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for my part in it. I'm sorry that I did this. I will learn from it. I will try to get it better. Um, and I totally see how you, I mean, it felt that way. And I just thank you. And thank you for bringing it up to me. Thank you for not letting this fester and become something in between our relationship. And by the way, I can't even believe this, but I'm preaching on that on this Sunday. <laughs> it's amazing how Jesus is. And, and here's the other thing I discovered. This approach, this kingdom approach just creates this very safe, non-judging, non-condemning place where people can honestly deal with their own sin. See, that's what the kingdom does. That's who Jesus is. He comes to us and says, you know what? I am a place. My kingdom is a place where you can come as a messed up, broken, fallen, hideous, heinous sinner and you don't have to feel condemnation and judgment. This is a safe place for you to get honest about your stuff. Listen to this beautiful verse. The same principle plays out in Romans. Paul's talking to the church in Rome. He says this. He says, Therefore, there is now, now, because Christ has come and died on the cross and rose from the grave and given himself for us and shown us immeasurable, sacrificial love and grace and mercy. Now, because of that, there is now no condemnation, he says. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what, that's what the gospel's all about, friends. You can come. Not hiding your sin, not defensive about your sin, not trying to justify your sin. You can just come to God with your sin held out. God, here it is. And God doesn't come with judgment or criticism or looking down his nose at you. He offers forgiveness, forgiveness that pours out of his ice cream cone. Right? Just overflows on you. And then... That grace and forgiveness poured out on us, empowers us, enables us to give the same thing to people in our lives in return. This morning we're going to come to the table again. The table is the place where we remember that, we declare that. God has provided a safe place for me to confess and deal with and offer up my sin.
It's a place where we declare that the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus is bigger and more powerful than anything I ever can, could, or will ever do. And so we come here to declare and remember how much forgiveness has been poured out on us and how safe it is for us to deal with our sin. And then we go from the table empowered and strengthened to live that out. And so this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team up. They're going to lead us in worship this morning. When you are ready, come to the table. Remember who God is in your life and what He's done for you. Receive it again. Receive it again, because that kind of grace is hard to receive. I find that I have to receive it over and over and over again. Receive it again, and then and then think about that person. Maybe la- Remember last week when I told you to go talk to somebody? I was actually a little bit premature. Some of you did it already. I'm so sorry. I should have told you this. Stop and think about yourself. Ask yourself why. Most of you have procrastinated that anyway, so we're not too late. Stop and ask yourself why. Why? Do I feel this way about this person? Why is this situation so difficult? What's going on in me? Lord, help me see me. By the grace and power of Jesus, help me see me. And then, help me to see how I might live assertive love out in just the right way, in just the Jesus way, in this situation. Would you do that today? Come to the table, meet God, and then ask God how he wants you to meet others. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace. Thank you for this place where I can just show up as this broken, wretched person and not have to hide it and not face condemnation or judgment from you, but just be able to honestly deal with it that I might be redeemed from it and, 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 and get past it, God. It's your grace that gives me that. So thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you. Uh, may I and may we be a church that, where when people come in, when they enter our community, they feel that same thing from us that same overflowing forgiveness. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.